Hello, welcome to the podcast of Grace Fellowship Church Shrewsbury. We meet every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. in Southern York County, Pennsylvania. You can join our morning live stream on Facebook or YouTube. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury. You can find more information about us at gfcshrewsbury.org. We are so excited to bring you this message today, and it is our hope that you will come to know and believe Jesus Christ more fully through it. Well, what do you what do you got to praise him for this morning? What do you need to praise him for this morning? I don't know about you, but I woke up. I breathed some oxygen I didn't earn. I had a roof over my head. I ate some food this morning, and that was all before 8.15 a.m. We have more blessings in five minutes than anything we could complain about. How good is God? And that's who we praise. We don't praise God just on a Sunday. He's a God of forever. How good is he? Just in your own words in this moment, praise him for something. Praise him for something. He's done more for you since you got here this morning than you've ever done for anyone else. Say something out loud that he's done for you. Thank you, God, that I woke up. Thank you for my daughters. Thank you for my church family. Thank you that my car has air conditioning. Like, come on. That's who we serve, the King of Kings. We praise him. Father, Spirit, Son, three in one. A God who's together with himself, which is why we can come together as the church and be together. You're so worthy. We don't come to church to sit in a seat. We don't come to church to listen to music. We don't come to church to listen to somebody talk. We come to church to experience God. How about one more time? And praise the Father, praise the Son. Listen, this is angelic. Praise the Spirit, three in. This is the kingdom on earth. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's too good. God, we thank you that there are a lot of things maybe we could say we lack, but your spirit and your presence and your goodness are not on that list. And in fact, when we have those things, we lack nothing. I pray that as we gather as the church of Jesus Christ this morning, that this is not a place like any other. Because when two or more are gathered, you promise us your presence. So the question isn't whether or not you're here, it's whether or not we're looking for you. It's whether or not we're paying attention to you. So maybe even in this moment, before we've even gotten 15 minutes into this thing, somebody can recognize your presence for the first time. Maybe somebody who walked into this room and hasn't been feeling it can feel you and realize you've been there all along. And like we're going to talk about today, could today be a day that we look we lift our eyes because what God has for us is already here. 
We love you, Jesus, and we just ask in this moment that you would prepare us for what you have to say, that you would speak powerfully to us, that you would convict us and change us because that's what you want for us. Your love can't leave us the same. And we trust with expectant hearts that that's what you're gonna do this morning and going forward. We pray all these things, and the church of Jesus said, amen. Can we give it up for our worship team one time? Come on. Come on. One thing that I specifically love about Andrew and Leah is that worship is not a Sunday morning thing for them. It is a lifestyle. And it, and it shows, doesn't it? Man, I don't even want to leave. Want to just sing more? I'll skip the message, y'all. I will. I will skip it. I'll throw all the prep down the drain, and we'll just praise God for another two and a half hours. Some of you are like, my limit is noon, Phil. Anyways, hello, Grace. How are we feeling today? My name's Phil. Everybody say hi, Phil. Hi, friends. I love y'all so much. You guys are my family. I don't just say that because I like to talk. I say that because I believe it. If you're a part of this family of grace, whatever ministry you may be a part of, gosh, God is just moving up on this hill, like, and if you're around it, it's hard, it's hard to not see it. Um, all the different ministries and all, all we got going on throughout the week here, like, y'all, it, it really be wild. But, but here's the thing, we got to get going a little bit, you know what I'm saying? I got to warm y'all up. So I need you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, hey, neighbor. I really like that shirt. <laughs> now I need you to find another neighbor and say, hey, neighbor, I'm just glad you're wearing a shirt. Yeah. If, y'all, if you heard me speak before, you should know that number two is always in trouble, all right? So start choosing your people wisely. Next time, it'll be the first person that gets the brunt. I'm going to throw you off for a loop. Well, uh, we have a ton to talk about today. The passage that we're about to break down, like, y'all, pfft is chock full of Jesus-y goodness. The Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing joint and marrow. And today, I just have to warn you, this is a loving warning. Today will be a piercing type of day. It will be, in a good way, I promise. But, but what we're going to study, man, first service was heavy. Like, the way God moved, I'm just expecting it, and then some here. But what God has to say is intense. So, so we're going to get to it, uh, and we're going to be studying John 4, 31 through 45, and before we do that, I'm just going to pray one more time, uh, if you would pray with me. God, I thank you for your presence in the room. I, th- I thank you that you, you are so intimate and close with us that like even this morning, I've just been with you multiple times. I've experienced you multiple times in, in just, it's not even 11 like you're so good, you love us so much, and it's, the question is whether or not we're lifting our eyes, and today I ask you, Jesus, that you would help us lift our eyes to what you have for us, to the plans and purposes that you have for us. Lift our eyes off of something maybe that we've been looking at for far too long and on to something that you want us to focus on. I pray that we would have soft hearts, that if we were to be pierced this morning, we would understand and trust that it's for our betterment, it's for a good thing, and that you love us so deeply that you correct us. And that's the God that we praise and serve. We love you, Jesus, and all God's people said, 
Amen. Come on now. Amen. Come on now. Amen. 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 Everybody now. Amen. Come on now. Come on now. If your lips weren't moving, I saw. I see you got him standing up over here. Dude, y'all know we can praise God how we want. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know where you came from, what you were raised in, but the Bible just says worship in spirit and truth. Okay? You know, what spirit and truth looks like for you is going to be different from the next person, and that's okay. If you got to stand up and do a backflip when the other person is meditating, do it. All right? Unless you can't do a backflip. Do we have a medic? I don't know. I just got trained in CPR. Do a backflip. You're good. John 4, 31 through 35, we're going to get into it, all right? I'm going to put it up on the screens for you. I'm going to read it to you, and we'll get into it. <clears throat> so this is fresh after the woman at the well. Last week, we talked about the woman at the well. Ben killed it, slayed it, all right? And he talked about what, 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 like, what did we need to pull from the woman into the well, and then we stopped short, and this is a continuation of that story, but what I need you to hear before we read this is that it's the same story, but these verses are a new context, it's a new audience hearing what's said, and that really matters to us, and I'll explain what that means shortly. But let's read the passage first. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat, all right? So they had just encountered the woman at the well. The woman at the well is excited on life now, and she's going to tell everybody, here's where we are. And they're like, yo, bro, you hungry? And he said to them, listen, y'all, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Well, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. White is another way to say they're ready, they're ripe. NIV says ripe, I like that word. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice so here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. So now we transition again. He's talking to the disciples and now we're into like, like the cause and effect of what happened to the woman at the well. Many S Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. I love testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, naturally. And he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. And after just two days, he departed for Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. All right, man, yeah, let's start chopping this guy up, all right? <clears throat> this is super interesting on many levels, and I'm going to tell you hopefully about all of them. First thing that is incredibly interesting, I think, to me, is that Jesus had just, like literally one verse removed, finished his encounter with the Samaritan woman, and then what does he do with his disciples? He uses a very similar analogy to talk to them. So what did he say to the woman at the well? He said, well, you want water out of this well, but I have water to which will leave you never thirsty again, right? In fact, I'll read it. I think it's verses, what, 13 and 14. It says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give 
will never be thirsty again. By the way, if you don't have one of these, go get them. They're out in the lobby. They're awesome. And they free 99. You know what I'm saying? And then with the disciples, again, new context, new audience, all right? He uses an extremely similar analogy except to his followers, except to his believers. So what does that mean for us in the room that maybe, you know, our, our church folk, we're believers, man, we're Jesus Christ followers. We've been doing this for a hot minute. What that should say to us is, hey, perk up, this is for you, okay? Two different contexts, similar analogy, but slightly different. So the woman at the well is arguably maybe the, the unbeliever. It's the Samaritan. It's the enemy. It's the one with all the differences who, who had the li- different political and religious ideologies and backgrounds. And Jesus goes to her and, and gives this water analogy, and, and that changes her life. That's all she needed. Okay, this is going to leave me, like, filled up and not thirsty for the rest of ever. I'm like, i got to go tell everybody. Well, then he says to the disciples, like, a, a new context, well, hey, you already believe this. You've already got the water, but, but what you are missing now is the food. Like, I have a food. You think you need food to eat. I have a food to which you have never even heard of. Like, I have a food for you that you, you aren't, like, aware of yet. And he says to them, you're going to be truly filled. The food you really need is the food of doing the will of my Father. And that, that comes out of these verses, by the way. I meant to put that up there for you. 31 through 34. And he says these things to them. My, my food is to do the will of the Father and to accomplish his work. That's my food. That's how I get filled up. But what is he saying here right off the bat to his believers, his followers, his disciples? I think he's saying this. We need to find fulfillment in doing the Father's work, in the Father's will. We need to find fulfillment in doing the will of the Father. He looks at, again, his closest followers. So, like, this is for us in the room. And he says, I love you. Like, I'm proud of you. Like, you're doing a good job, but you're still not getting it. Like, I read this passage, and and I put myself in the disciples' shoes for a second, and I was like, man, they've been following him. And, like, they gave up their life for him. And I was like, in some ways, I can relate to that. I think I've given up a ton for him. I've been trying to follow him. And yet he says to them, I have a food you know nothing of. Okay, so that means for us in the room, no matter how versed you think you are, how long or short you've been following this thing, Jesus is saying to us, I have something you know nothing of. Like, I got a next thing for you you still don't know anything about. I I have that next level for you, which, hey, you've been doing good, but, but you don't get it yet. There's still things you don't get. And I don't know about you, but that excites me because that means there's always more. Like, I've never reached this pinnacle. I've understand the Bible enough. I've been to enough church services. I went to my 39th Bible study, and that's the number of lashes, so it's completion. Do you know? I mean, I just completely made that up. Do people think that way? I don't know. Hopefully not. Like, there's never an end to what God's trying to teach us, and he says this to the disciples, and he's like, you think what you need to continue this journey, which is a good journey, you think what you need is food, And I'm telling you, the only thing that truly fills you is doing the purposes that God has laid out for you. The only way to truly find the joy and the peace and the love in this life that we need is by actually doing the will of the Father. Let me ask a a question that's kind of like the opposite end of this. Do we realize that following God and doing what he said is not meant to be this like white-knuckled, gritted teeth, I hate this so much, but I was just raised to do it. The Bible tells me to do it. My church says to do it. And I'm just going to hate it, and, but do it anyways. No! 
that's clearly not what it's supposed to be like. Like, in fact, the Bible, and I think Jesus here is saying when he's like, hey, I have food you don't know about that's going to be your true fulfillment. He's saying, like, listen, this is supposed to be the most filling, joyful, peaceful, like, love-soaked, like, thing of your life. But let me, let me say this. I've met a ton of miserable religious people. A ton of them. And I'm like, have you met Jesus? <laughs> what? Why are you so unhappy? He saved your soul. Like he changes us every day. He's constantly working for us. He's working all things for good. He'll never leave or forsake us. Like you just like rattle off this litany of promises that God gives us and you meet someone who seems to just hate their life because they're following God. It's not meant to be like that. And I think Jesus is starting to unveil these types of things to his disciples. That like, man following me, doing what I say, it is going to be the foolest you've ever been. Foolish you've ever been. It's the food that you need. And let me just encourage us. This is a day-by-day thing. Because I think what we tend to do sometimes is you're like, okay, well, I've eaten the loaf. I'm good. No, you need food how many days a week? How many times a day? If the Bible says we don't live by bread alone, but by every word out of the mouth of God, then that says that the bread he's saying we're unaware of is something we can get to every single day. And I know sometimes I fall into this trap of maybe feeling like I've gotten there or, or like I'm good. Like I'm, I'm, you know, here's a word, I'm comfortable. And God's like, yeah, you're missing it. You missed it today. You did good yesterday. Love you. Proud of you. But you're missing it today. I think that's what he's saying to the disciples here. But, but let me like contrast. Let's look at the world real quick. I'm, I'm a big fan of comparing what I would call the worldly culture versus kingdom culture. Like the culture of the world and what the world does, says, how they act, what they believe should look massively different from kingdom culture. Like what the Bible and God and the Holy Spirit and God's people, how they tell us to live in the way. We, like, like how many people have you met in your life that love Jesus deeply and they are by far the most joyful, loving, happy, selfless, sacrificial people ever? I'm going to be honest. Like if I had to like write a list of the most happy, joyful, sacrificial, loving people ever— you know, it'd be a list of 100 people and every single one of them would be passionate Christians. Why? Because they're so full off of the bread that God offers us. They're so full off of what Jesus has for us, but we look at the world, and let me ask you this question. Is the world jam-packed of full people, joyful people, purpose-filled and driven people? No. I mean, I think you don't need to walk down half of Forest Ave to see that. You don't need to turn the news on for more than 13 seconds. To, and I would encourage you not to turn it on for 13 seconds. You don't need to turn that junk on for 13 seconds to know that people are not full. We are looking everywhere for purpose. We are looking everywhere for what's going to make us feel whole. Do we think it's a coincidence, family, that as church attendance declines, as uh, commitment to God declines, as these new age ideas of God come out, that as those go this way, there is a huge rise in things like depression, suicide, loneliness, substance abuse, abuse, divorce, like fill in the blank. These things have all gone up, listen to me, quantifiably in the last whatever, five, 10, however many years. And it's in a direct correlation with the decrease in maybe what we could call religiosity. We know it's not about that, right? Do we think that's a coincidence? Of course not. What does that tell us? That tells us that as the world starts looking for fulfillment in everything else, 
fulfillment becomes less and less. As the world starts looking for joy in everything else, there's less and less joyful people. As the world starts to grasp for peace in anything they could possibly find to make them peaceful, we actually become ironically less peaceful. That's not a coincidence, and Jesus is getting at that right now. He's saying, listen, like, I know you think you need food, fill in your food, but I got food that you don't even know about yet. And, and uh, I want to re-clarify the context here is believers. This is not for the person who doesn't believe this yet. This is not at the person who doesn't get it yet. This is at the person who maybe has been walking this for 30 years. This is at the person who, who's got a seminary degree. This, this is at the person who leads a ministry. Like, it's aimed at us. And he's like, I have something for you that you don't know about yet. Are you pursuing it every day? Are you coming to get more of it every single day? Are you looking for fulfillment when you wake up in the morning from the only true place you can find fulfillment? Are you going elsewhere? When I prep for this message and ask myself some of the questions I'm going to ask you guys later, I realized that I turned to a lot of things for fulfillment. It could be momentary things. It could be something I only fall into every once in a while, whatever it may be. But I go to it and God's saying, no, 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 that's not the food. I want to show you a clip, but I want to preface it with this. Think, think about this. If God, we believe, made the entire world, knows absolutely everything about it, knows absolutely everything about you, he knits you in his mother's womb, he counts every single hair on your head, he made you, loves you perfectly, beautifully, and wonderfully, and then he says he loves us, and he gives us guidance and instructions while we're here on earth, what this has to mean, this has to mean that God is not a cosmic killjoy sitting up in heaven, like thwarting all your fun, because you really want to do this, that, and the other, but God's telling you not to. That's the white-knuckled, gritted, I hate this so much. No, he's not a cosmic killjoy. What it actually must tell us is that he says these things so that we can find true fulfillment, listen, living the way the creator created his creation to exist. If he made us, he knows the way it's supposed to be done, and if he knows the way it's supposed to be done and we follow it, we're gonna live the best life we possibly could because that's how God the Father made it for us. And I wanna show you a clip uh, that I just, I love. It's from the movie Evan Almighty, and it's like an interchange between uh, Steve Carell and God uh, because he wants him to build an ark. There's your reference, but it's really funny, and it like, I feel like fits. Check this out. <laughs> and to clarify, obviously, that's not inherently a Christian movie, uh, but I think there's truth in there. It's called Evan Almighty, by the way. I would suggest watching. It's hilarious, and Morgan Freeman has the best voice of God. Mine is Godfrey Wheatley, all right, <clears throat> and he's an in-house talent, all right, but I love the truths that kind of seep through a funny clip like this because I think similar to how Jesus is talking to the disciples and saying, like, like listen, man, I know y'all got plans and I know you think you need food and whatever, whatever you need, fill in the blank. But like, man, I got some, my plans, my will, like it's better. Like it's so much better. Like it will infinitely fill you. And he laughs, I think, <laughs> in, the, in real life when we're like, oh no, God, I'm gonna do it this way. God, these are my plans. Don't you know I want to accomplish this? And I feel like God's just up there like, dude, <laughs> love you so much, but that's not how it's going today. I think of like my kid. I got a three-year-old. I got two kids, but I got a three-year-old daughter, and she's getting to the age where she will start to tell me what she thinks we're doing this day. So she'll wake up, and she'll be like, Daddy, today we're going to the park, and we're going to eat eggs for breakfast, and I'm going to go to my mom's house. So that's my mother-in-law. And, and I laugh because it's adorable, and I love her, but I also am aware of our plans for the day and they look nothing like that do you know what I mean so I think God is the same we wake up and we're like this is what I'm gonna accomplish and what I'm gonna do and God's like nah dude I got you I have food that you know nothing of 
But then what sticks out to me about that clip is this. He says, anything I do, though, I do because I love you. That's Christian gospel. That is the Bible. That anything that happens, anything that God does in your life, it is for your betterment. He's working it for good because he loves you. And this is the message here that we see in verses 31 through 34 that he's getting across to the disciples. Now, there's a second kind of sub point that I think we need to see, which I think for some of us may hit home a little bit more. And it's this. When the disciples were encouraging him to eat, is eating inherently a bad thing? How many of you ate breakfast this morning? Sinners. <laughs> no, eating's not a bad thing. Like, we, we need to eat to survive. God gave us food. It says all good things come from heaven. So when you're just diving into a big old juicy steak or fill in the blank of what you love, that is a highly favored, you know what I'm saying? Blessed, hashtag blessed. But Jesus uses this instance even though it's not like a sinful thing, it's not maybe a bad habit, it's not like a bad tendency, things we tend to focus on is like, that's getting in your way. It's actually a good thing that Jesus uses as a teaching example as to what's getting in the way for the disciples. He says, listen, man, like, like y'all think you need food. No, like, I got something bigger and better for you. Like, let me put it this way. Do you know how many of us, like, as, there's a lot of people in this room who I know well. Like I see the, the previouses, I see my, my fam in here, my student ministry fam, Michael, oh, Barb and Al, y'all never stop serving God. You know what I'm saying? Like I see people in here, Christina, Paul, we're so glad you're here. Hope, love your face. Like we see people in here who we know are serving God, like who, who do this thing, are really about this life, right? And that's so good. But I think Jesus's like kind of little partial point here is that we tend to do things to find fulfillment in godly things, but not in God himself. Like, he wasn't discouraging them from eating. Obviously, eating is a good thing, but he was saying, hey, even that's getting in the way of you understanding there's food that you know nothing of. And we tend to, I know I tend to do godly things without God, or how often do we do things for God without God? And I have to be honest, like if I'm going to be transparent, we're a hot church, honest, open, transparent. In my position, in, in like I've volunteered here for a really, really long time, it can be really easy for me to fall into that. Like I'm going to do a lot of things for God. So it's easy for me to be here or, or wherever and just do, I mean, shoot, today I loved on like 10 different people. I went out of my way for these different people. I led a ministry and then I taught a fire message, you know what I'm saying? And I listened to some worship music, hallelujah, and then get to the end of the day and realized I didn't spend any time with God. I did a lot of things for God. I didn't do many things with God. And I think Jesus, in some ways, is getting at that to the disciples. It's good. They were asking Jesus for food. Like, they were talking to the one himself. They were talking directly to him. Like, Jesus, let's, we want to love you. We want to feed you. And he's like, it's getting in the way of you realizing what's really going on. It's getting in the way of, of you really seeing what I'm doing, which he talks about here in a couple verses. But God's been convicting me specifically because if I'm going to be real, like, like there's been a lot of sin in my life that from, you know, six, seven years ago to now, I've just watched him slowly eradicate and still, there's still struggles, there's still whatever, but like I can clearly see massive differences, right? That's called sanctification. But only recently has God started to show me how many things I do for God without God. How many times ministry and church and, and what, you know, churchiness has actually gotten in the way of me experiencing God, and, and he's shown me this, that the danger in that is that then we're finding fulfillment in thinking we're doing things for God when we never actually 
let God be involved in it. And I can fall into that, and I think he's warning the disciples here too, like even good things sometimes can distract you from what I'm trying to show you because we need to know God before we do for God. The knowing turns to doing, and there is no other order. I can't do for God without knowing God. That's why the series is called Know God, A Study Through John. And I think what Jesus is getting at here, he's like, disciples, like my fan band, my brothers, you are with me right now. Like they were with him. They were following him. They were really trying their best to do it right, as are many of us probably in the room. And he's saying, okay, you've, you've checked that off. You're with me. At least you're trying to be with me. You're fighting for me. Okay, then what's the next step? Family, church, disciples. He says, you need to realize that doing my will now, accomplishing my work, is the only way that you're going to find true fulfillment. It's the only way that you're really going to be full. So my question for you before we continue is where have you been finding fulfillment? What is the thing that you go to at the end of the day? What is the thing you go to at the end of the week? What is the thing you go to when you're sad? What is the thing you go to when you celebrate? If I had to take a wild guess, I'd guess for a lot of us in the room, it's the same answer for all four. And I know during this prep, Oh, man, I made the mistake of praying, okay, God, what do I find my fulfillment in? And he just listed some stuff off. I I swear, a list dropped on my desk out of heaven. He was like, here, these are the things. And I was like, take it back. I don't want it. But what do you find fulfillment in? And, And do we realize and be momentarily challenged in the fact that maybe there's more that God has for us? But in typical Jesus fashion, because, y'all, Jesus is just like, bro, I love Jesus so much. Like, anybody in the room just love Jesus? I feel like me and Jesus would have been homies. My man had, like, a super sense of humor. He was always just, like, doing cool stuff and whatever. I would have loved to follow him. Then again, a lot of people saw him and didn't follow him. I've probably been one of those people. You ever think that, like, if Jesus walked in the room, would we recognize him? You know how many people back then claimed to believe in God and didn't recognize the Messiah? That's so convicting to me, like, when I think I'm doing this well. And I'm like, you know how many religious people back in the day just passed him off? Oof, that's unrelated. In typical Jesus fashion, my man never leaves us hanging, ever. He, dude, he's such a baller. He never leaves us hanging. He always shows us what's next. And it comes out of verses 35 and 36. And they say this. Don't you say. So he goes right at the disciples. Like how often does Jesus like answer a question with a question? I hate when people do that. But Jesus was good at it. He said, well, don't you say. There are yet four months and then comes the harvest. Look. I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest, that they're ripe for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. A quick little thing that's not even one of my points, but I think it's important to say out of verse 36. Um, I can tend to get discouraged because I invest in a lot of people that when I'm like investing and I'm sacrificing my time for you and I'm going out of my way for you and and I feel like it's clicking or I hope that it is and then two years go by and nothing's changed, I can tend to get a little, you know, frustrated, discouraged, defeated that I'm like, was was this a waste of time? Like, any of y'all got people in your life like that? That you're like, you're investing and you invest in and it doesn't seem like anything's clicking, doesn't seem like anything's clicking and then you kind of like, is this even worth it? Like, should I even do it? Man, I read this verse and God just lifted that whole weight and he's like, do you know that whether you sowed it or reaped it, you're going to celebrate together in heaven? That's so cool. 
So like the people who I feel like were lost causes, they never got it, they were frustrating, whatever. I'm gonna get up to heaven one day and the person who reaped that down the road is gonna be up there and we're gonna just have a party together. That's so exciting. And let me encourage you with this. Uh, if you're in that boat of like, man, I've really been trying to pour out. I've been really trying to invest and it doesn't seem like anything's working. So often we might need to get to the hundredth person before the fruit grows. But if you don't play your role at number 47, you might not ever get to number 48. Your role matters. The seeds we sow matter. But that's not my point. That's just a little free one. You can take that home, put it in your pocket, be encouraged. Jesus here is so clear, and here's why I appreciate this, because Jesus is not all the time clear, if we can be real. In fact, it specifically says in the Bible that he spoke in parables so that it would be a mystery. That's rude, frankly. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, just tell me what I got to know, Jesus. But, but you know why he did that? Because he wanted people to really seek. He wanted people to really, really look for themselves. But here he didn't do that. It's a layup, y'all. We're like breaking down the court. If you're not good at basketball, just stick with the metaphor. You're getting a free layup. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be two points. He's being super clear. He says this. You like food because you think it's what you need to feel filled. Stick with me for a sec. So much so that you eagerly wait for it. You're expectant of it. You think that once you get there, four months, four months and then the harvest comes, you think that once you get there, then you will be fulfilled. Then you will find that purpose. And a few verses before, he had just told the disciples that their fulfillment would come from God's purposes, from accomplishing the Father's will. Fill in your harvest. Like, in, in your seat right now, like, I'm, dude, don't worry about the person to your left. Don't worry about the person to your right. Don't worry about the person who didn't come this morning that you're frustrated because they need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. In your seat right now, What's that thing you expectantly look for because you'll think it'll make you happy? What, what's that thing that you wait for every single week, every single day that you can get to because then you can relax. Then you can have peace. Then you can feel good. What is it for you? It, it might not be a four-month wait. It could be a wait until Friday because the weekend is what you need to be happy. And then Sunday comes and you realize it didn't work. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that but I'm sure here the disciples had to be a slightly confused, okay? Because let me put you in the scenario. If you were hitting up your homie and you were like, let's go to Panera Bread and get some lunch. And he was like, I have bread that you know nothing of. <laughs> You'd be like, what? Dude, I just want to get, I got, only got an hour. Like, let's go. Stop wasting my time. What are you talking about? I'll get soup then. Fine. No, I have soup you know nothing of. Okay, shut up. I'm going with someone else. <laughs> I'm sure the disciples had to have been a little confused. It's kind of fun to put ourselves into their shoes because they were learning. We have the whole Bible. They didn't. They were learning off the cuff of their pants, the seat of their pants. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure they were a little bit confused. Like, okay, then what do we do? I get it. Like, we don't, there's food we know nothing of. Uh, the harvest, we're looking at the wrong thing. We understand. What do we do? And Jesus, so, like, he's so good because he never leaves us hanging. He's always teaching us, and he says this. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. The fields I'm talking about are right here, and it's ripe for harvest. Here's what I think he's saying to them. Stop waiting for what's already here. Stop waiting for what's already here. Again, I, I like to contrast cultures because, again, I think what we believe and what we say and how we should be doing things is just way different than the world. It should be. 
You know, that's one of the number one like, indicators if, if I talk to someone and, and they're trying to fill me in on how life's going. I listen to like, how they go about things and, and I can pretty quickly tell what culture they're living for. And there's no condemnation there because there are days where your boy is not about the kingdom culture. If I'm going to be real, you know, I got to fight it. Saying who, what I call the current culture we're in is the what's next culture. The what's next culture, like the the world that we're in, the news, social media, like probably your people in the circles around you that maybe aren't believers, which I hope you have those because you need to have those. But but those types of people speaking into your life, what they do, what this culture does is it literally preaches to us that happiness is found in the next product you need. Do you want to know why like like telemarketing and those annoying commercials that went for an hour where they just kept selling stuff and they would always fake phone calls and pretend people were calling in oh you want this for this sold all right what's next you know why that worked because a whole culture of people believed they needed that stuff to be happy that's why that type of marketing works right or how about this we we think fulfillment is found in the instagram perfect relationship gosh i will just really be fool if i can find bay if boo-boo falls into my lap, I need that godly man. Where my women at? I need that godly man to show up right now, God. Where's he at? I just need to find that Proverbs 31 woman. And the minute I do, I'm going to be good. And we seek relate. Oh, gosh, especially my young people. I don't mean to call you out. But, y'all, we look for relationships harder than we look for anything else. If we pursued God the way we pursue relationships, holy moly, the world would be a different place. But we believe because we saw, you know, Chip and Joanna Gaines or whoever on Instagram and they look so perfect together and they just have everything. They fought right before that picture, y'all. Don't buy the lie. Let me tell you, my wife was in first service and I embarrassed her. I did not ask permission. She's not here. I don't have to ask now. Okay. Yo, I think my wife and I are great. Dead serious. I think in, in many ways, some not, but in many ways, we are a good example. We get along. We conflict resolve really well. We're on the same page about stuff. We do the Christian stuff together. We serve together, blah, blah, blah. We fought like five times this week. We did. And I could, you know, I'll do it. If any of you follow me on Instagram, I'll post a pretty picture this afternoon. And the caption's going to say, we fought five times this week. I promise you I'll do it if you are with me on the IG, all right? Why? Because we look at stuff like that and we buy this lie that if we can get there, we'll be happy. We'll be filled. All right, let's keep going. How about this? Contentment will be available once your house is perfectly clean. My lady's in the house. It just has to be clean. We didn't sweep, so I can't be happy. Floor needs vacuum, and until that thing's vacuum, I am not happy with life. That was some of our fights this week, guys, okay? You can find peace when you get to that next promotion or job. Because I hate the season of life I'm in right now. I hate it. I don't like my job, I don't like my boss, I don't like my coworkers. If I can just find that next thing, we'll be good. Well, guess what? Six months into that next thing, you hate all them too. It's always been a heart problem. It's never been a situation problem. How about this one? I'll be happy once it's the weekend. It's Monday. It's the worst day of the week. Y'all, we got to change our attitudes because people see our attitudes. Can I tell you something? I worked for five years as a chemist. I didn't like it. That's okay. And for those five years, I made the conscious decision. I'm going to be the happiest person in this building. I literally did. I went in every single day like I will be happier than everybody else. And when they ask why, I'm going to tell them, Jesus in a less forceful way. <laughs> but you know what I used to say? Every single Monday, you can ask, I don't know if I have any ex-coworkers in the room, but if they're there, they would attest to it. I used to walk in, and when you would have the annoying, pointless conversations, like, how was your weekend when you really don't care about their weekend? <laughs> Guilty, y'all. And I would say this, or, or they would say, how are you doing today after that? And I would be like, I'm great. Monday's the best day of the week. I'd say that every time. You know what's super duper cool? 
Jess, my wife, still works at that place. That's about two years removed. There's people there that still say that to this day. But we look for the weekend sometimes instead of making the best of what we currently have. We look for fulfillment in what's next. It's what's next culture. But listen to me, the problem with that, if the problem with what's next culture is materials and products break. They die. People fail you constantly. You can lose that job in two seconds. Or you could never get that promotion you think that you need. Your house, ladies, will always get dirty again. It will. Trust me, especially if you got kids. It's never clean, actually. And listen, y'all, Monday always comes after Sunday. That will never change. So what, what are we looking to fulfillment for? And I think with good intentions, the disciples here were doing the same thing. They were saying, listen, the harvest is in four months, and then we got, we, we're going to have the food that we need to do what we have to do, to feel full, to feel joyful, to feel like you know, we have purpose now. Again, fill in what your harvest is. But I think Jesus is clearly saying to them here, listen, family, listen, church, because this is two believers. You're looking at the wrong things. That's what he says. He says, look and lift your eyes. What you need and what you'll find true fulfillment in is already here. Just look up. There's tons of people in 2021 who need help. Tons of people going through struggles. Tons of people who don't know Jesus yet. The harvest is ripe. That's what Jesus is saying to them even 2,000 years ago. He said, and that's the food that you need. Like, to feel the joy and excitement of serving God and helping to bring people to know him and find true fulfillment through those pursuits rather than the things that leave us empty and empty and empty. And, like, I have to tell y'all, like, for me, some of the biggest highs in my life, not some, all of the biggest highs, biggest moments of joy, biggest moments of passion in my life, have come from times where I've been a part of someone coming to know Jesus for the first time. Someone who, who a chain's been broken, man, and they're walking in a new way. Someone who's just broken in front of the, like times that I sacrificed my time for someone when I frankly didn't really want to, and I see the fruit of it because I just said yes. Those are the times I've felt the, the most high. Those are the times I've felt the most filled. It's never come from the dumb stuff that I contend to chase. And can I challenge us in a relevant way I want to um, warn you lovingly right now that this is, some of y'all are going to hate me after this. In first service, there was like 10 minutes of solid, quiet tension <laughs> in such a good way. It ended in such a cool moment of worship afterwards, but I'm about to challenge us. Why? Because like we don't come to church just to like feel good about what we're already doing and leave. We come to church to experience God, be convicted, and leave different. Because God has something for you every single day of your life that can like radically change you if you're open to it. So I'm going to ask that you guys be open to this right now, but I want to challenge us in a relevant way, and here it is. I think, it's a, it's a personal belief, that 2020 was probably the most ripe harvest of our lifetime. Like millions and millions of people covering the globe who were in dire need of help, who were in depression, who were lonely, who were a part of different abuse situations, whatever it may have been, who lost jobs, who, who were really struggling with money. Like millions of people that fell into these categories that were in need of help, and I'm worried that many of God's people, 
may have missed it because rather than lifting our eyes to the harvest, we were too worried about our opinions on politics and COVID. And, and like, let me clarify, like, I have my own thoughts and opinions on that stuff. Guess what? If you're breathing air, you have opinions. That doesn't mean you should use your air to say them. But I'm genuinely concerned, myself included, that maybe we missed it here. There was a ripe harvest of souls, and we were so caught up with what we think. And guess what? The disciples were here too. Are you not convinced yet? Let's look back at the context. What did the disciples say the minute they saw him talking to the Samaritan woman? Why is he talking to her? Sound familiar? Do you know people haven't changed? The disciples had the same exact problems we have now. The difference is we can look to how Jesus interacted with them and learn how we should be acting. Because Jesus quickly ignored that sentiment. In fact, look at it, y'all. Look at it, and I need you to hear me. The disciples themselves, when they saw this interaction between Jesus and a Samaritan woman, let me put some context if you don't know what I'm talking about. Jews and Samaritans, Jesus was a Jew. Jews and Samaritans were enemies. You want to know what their major differences were? Religious and political differences. And the disciples, the ones closest to Jesus, when they saw them talking, their first, this is heartbreaking, their first thought was why are they talking to them? Does that sound like 2020 at all to you? I say it in a way that I hope it breaks our hearts because it was happening then too, but what does Jesus do? Rather than default to their disagreements like the disciples did, Jesus saw a harvest. Do you know we're supposed to act like Jesus, not the disciples? He, rather than disagreements, saw a ripe harvest and chose to use this specific example as how we should be acting, as how we should be living. Like, y'all, it kind of hurts, but I think we got it wrong. And maybe we're still getting it wrong to right now. You know what I'm saying? Maybe you're wrapped up in the wrong stuff when Jesus is like, the harvest is ripe. Can you lift your eyes and look? if you're in the room and, and you're like, Phil, stop talking to me. Uh, there's grace. There's so much grace. Do you know how much grace there is? You know we could never mess up more than God has grace for you. You can never out-sin God's grace. So if this has been something you've gotten wrong the entire year, God can change it right now. And you can leave this room ready to do something different. That's the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, that it changes something. It doesn't ever leave us where we were. And there's grace on grace on grace on grace. So even as I was prepping this, I had to give myself some grace for instances that I know I've handled wrong because of my frustration, because of my opinions, because of whatever. And God's like, hey, okay, grace on you. Go reconcile. Go love. And we're going to talk about that in a second. It's going to make some of you itch. And if it makes you itch, it's for you. That's how the Spirit of God works. But listen, I love grace as a whole. I love all the ministries here. What's our, what's our vision? Bring him in, build him up, send him out. By his grace and for his glory. What does that sound like? The harvest. Grace up here on the hill has always been about the harvest. We have always been about lifting our eyes to see the need. Lifting our eyes to see what God has for us. Lifting our eyes away from our opinions, our thoughts, our whatevers, the food we eat for fulfillment, and look into what God has for us. It's always been about that. And Jesus here in this passage so lovingly is like, church, lift your eyes. Look how gentle he was with the disciples. Like he didn't say like, no, you're wrong. That's a, a, that Samaritan woman is my, my child. That's my daughter and I love her. 
He didn't get aggressive with them. He was like, hey, look, that's how you lift your eyes. The harvest is right here. It's right in front of you. So stop looking for what's next, disciples. Stop looking for what's next, church of Jesus. Stop looking to the wrong things for fulfillment because it's in front of you. It's in your families. It's in your schools. It's in your communities. It's in your workplaces. It's in your friend groups. The harvest is everywhere. And this I specifically love. Jesus in this passage, y'all, this is like six verses, and we can pull out like 500 hours of preaching content, all right? But like, look what Jesus specifically says here. I'll put the verses up in a second. He says, lift your eyes because the harvest is ripe. Like, look. But I want to point out something that, that I know for me I had never caught before. And, and I've read this passage, I mean, shoot, a metric, you know, 400,000 times. But like, what would have the disciples seen when they looked up? Samaria. Like, there was nothing else to see. They were in a desert. That's why they needed Jacob's well to get water. There was nothing around, and they had just gone on this long venture. Jesus got to the well, and it says he was tired from the long journey. There was nothing else around. We have to see this right now. So when Jesus said, look, lift your eyes, the only thing they would have seen was Samaria. Y'all, I hope y'all are feeling how important this is. I don't know if you are. Why was that important? Those were the enemies. Those were the people they disagreed with. Those were the people that they had all these differences with. And Jesus specifically is like, hey, lift your eyes. The harvest is ripe. The only thing they could have possibly seen is their enemies. There was nothing else. In fact, Ben talked about it last week about the bypass. They were encouraging Jesus to bypass Samaria. And he was like, no, that's where we got to go. This is all building up to this seriously important point that Jesus is like, you have to love your, you, you have to love your enemies for anything to change. You have to love your enemies for anything to change. Look, look at the verses of what happens when the Samaritan woman goes back after she's loved by Jesus. Check it out. It says, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there for two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. Look, he's making it clear by modeling it to us. Until we go love our enemies, nothing's going to happen. And I think he's saying this. You need to love your enemies for your enemies to come to know Jesus. You need to love your enemies for your enemies to come to know him. And not until Jesus went out of his way and loved his enemy did anything change. But look at this. I love this. But but once it did, once he did, once he went in love, what does it say? It says, many more believed because of his word through the loving of an enemy. The Bible says this, for it is the kindness of God that leads to repentance. Like Jesus knew that only an encounter with the all-loving God of the universe would change a heart. And then once the woman at the well experienced this love, what did she do? She went and told everybody. Like she she was head over heels. She was like, that's amazing what you're telling me. I got water that never runs dry. I gotta go tell the whole world. And it started with him going out of his way to Samaria and loving an enemy. Let me ask us a question. Where did we go so wrong that in the name of God, we aggressively blast our opinions on the internet. 
and fight with people we disagree with and destroy relationships over petty differences. Y'all hear this. We claim to be fighting for the things of God when the heart of God has always been to love people. You cannot fight for the things of God correctly without the heart of God first. So you need to know and understand the heart of God is for people, and then from that, you will fight for the things of God appropriately. And in 2020, I'm worried we missed it a little bit. I'm worried there's ways I missed it a little bit. I approached the things of God without the heart of God. And guess what? The things of God without the heart of God is religion. The things of God without the heart of God is legalism. The things of God without the heart of God is a bunch of rules. Do you know we cannot make anyone believe what we believe by just forcing our thoughts on them? Only by love. The Bible's so clear. It's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, not the aggressive opinions. I love this passage, Luke 6.32, because this leaves no room for thought. It says this, If you love those who love you, what benefit is it to you? For even sinners love those who love them. He's making it so clear. The only way something changes is by loving hard people. The only way something changes is to love your quote-unquote enemies. The only way something changes is by you going out of your way to Samaria. Because if you just love the people who love you, that's cheap love. That's easy love. And the Bible's kind of harsh, and it says there's no benefit to you in that. He's leading a teaching moment here for his disciples that should echo to this exact moment in how Christians live their lives. Because he's talking to us. We are specifically to love our enemies, people we disagree with, people with differing political beliefs, people with differing backgrounds and ideologies, because listen, only love leads to change. And the Samaritan woman was who Jesus chose to teach us this. The Samaritan woman was the, the one who he had to model this for because even the disciples, their instinct was, why are you talking to them? And Jesus says, listen, there is no them. Man, some of us got to hear that in the room because we've spent a year of our lives so caught up and it's their fault. They're the problem. I can't believe them. We've been so caught up in that. And Jesus so clearly throughout the entire Bible is there is no them. There is an us. And God's heart is for all of his people. God created all of his people. And his heart, the Bible says, is that all of them would be saved. And Jesus is saying here, the only way to do that is to love your enemies. It's the only way. It's the only way. And the harvest family is ripe right now. So I want to ask this kind of closing question, who is your them? Who's your them? As I talked about this, who, who are the people that you just started grinding your teeth? I know, y'all, because I'm the same way. We're all human. Who, who did you start grinding your teeth about? Because <laughs> you were like, nope, I know where you're getting at, Phil. I know what you're saying. I'm not doing it. That's how God works. That, that's your flesh fighting against the Spirit of God. That's what it feels like. It's a good thing. That means God's working in you. Who's your them? And a really tough follow-up question, are we living up to the standards that Jesus sets in how to treat our enemies? Have we been living up to that standard? Or have maybe, church, we missed it a little bit. I'm just, I'm going to go ahead and say it because, dude, we're, we're, we're about changing the world here. We're not worried about, like, saying the right things. We're not politically correct in here. Like, like how, how many of my passionate Republicans in the room, when's the last time you went out of your way to love a Democrat? I'm so sorry or vice versa. 
And maybe to ease some tension in the room, like I'm a passionate Ravens fan. When's the last time I went out of my way to love a Steelers fan? I'm probably not going to do it. God, God hasn't brought that level of conviction or holiness on me yet. I love you too, but not, not, the, not that part. What I love about God, the God we serve, the Jesus of this love that we're talking about, is he never condemns us. He, in fact, works with us. He knows where we're weak. Like if some of you are sitting in your seats right now and you feel that this is a massive weakness for you, do you know the Bible says that when we are weak, his strength is made perfect? It doesn't say in the places you do good, he'll be made perfect. He says where you're weakest, his strength is made perfect. So if you feel weak in this area, which I would imagine a lot of us do, that's where God can shine through. Because when you go to someone who's really hard, someone you disagree with, an enemy of yours, and you love them, it's nothing but Jesus. That's all that they have to see. Because you got to get yourself the whole way out of the way <laughs> in order to go love somebody like that. He doesn't condemn. He convicts. And his conviction is to the benefit of us and to others. So I don't know what in this passage or in this message maybe, maybe stuck out to you and I'm, I'm praying and, and believing something did but if you've been here the last couple months gosh we're just we're, we're, we want you to experience God you don't come to church to sit in a seat like if you come to church every week and your idea is that you checked it off and you were here for an hour and a half you're missing it you're here to experience God you're here to learn from him you're here to grow in him you're here to hear what he has to say to you and you're here to worship him because of what he's done for you. So we've been trying to give you times to do that. So for the next like two or three minutes, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put two questions up on the screen. And we'll leave them up there for a couple minutes. But maybe you know God's already, he's all over you right now. He's like, okay, here's what we got to talk about. You know, I, gotta, <laughs> I already know what it is, Phil. Just put the lights down and let me pray. And maybe you don't. Maybe something's triggering. Maybe you're like, this, this sounds good and it seems right and I don't know what to do about it. So I'm going to put two questions up on the screen for a couple minutes. Get in your own space. Pray to him. Talk to him. We're going to put the lights on a little bit. Y'all, do not worry about the person to your left or right. Your relationship with God is between you and him. I don't care if the person to your right is the most saved person ever or they are the b biggest sinner in the world. This is you and Jesus. Stop worrying about other people, man. It's you and him. And here's the questions. Take these talk to him, and then Lee and Andrew are going to lead us in a closing song of worship. Do you, do you feel him right now? How good is the presence of God? I don't ever want to leave it. Like, I used to hate coming into church, and now I never want to leave. That's Jesus. How real are you? How good are you? I pray for the person in this room who's just, there, there's somebody who's pushing back against this and you're, you're saying, look, look, I'm right here. Lift your eyes. I've been here the entire time. There's water that you can have that'll never run dry. There's food that you can have that'll never leave you hungry again. There's things I can give you that will fulfill you forever. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for how you're moving. Thank you for what you're doing. Make us aware of you, God. <laughs> Thank you for the family of grace that, 
We have a place we can come and freely worship and experience the God of the universe, the creator who made us and calls us beautifully and wonderfully made. This has nothing to do with a building. This has nothing to do with music. This has nothing to do with strong speaking. This has everything to do with the creator of the universe sending his son named Jesus to die on a cross for everything you've ever done wrong, staring you in the eyes and saying you're worth it. I love you. And what I have is what you need. Grace, I don't know what God's speaking to you right now. I hope that he is. I hope that he is because God's always talking. It's whether or not we're listening. But he is so good. And he loves you so much. I pray that you know that. I pray that you, as you leave today, you don't leave the same way you walked in the doors. That's not the point of this thing. That you would leave on fire to love somebody from Samaria. Love somebody that's really going to make a difference when you go and love them. To find fulfillment, true fulfillment, in doing the work of God on your life. Because he's got things specifically for you. And as you leave, we have a couple next steps. Some things to do this week. I'll let them throw it up on the screen because take time to ask God where you've been finding unhealthy fulfillment and listen to this consider fasting from it from the week get rid of it find fulfillment where you're meant to find it and secondly pray that God would lift our eyes to the person who may be our harvest the person who may be our Samaria Grace we love you and, and I don't ever admittedly want to leave moments like this but here's the reality some of y'all got plans <laughs> So y'all got families and such. God gave you those things. Remember that. But he's so good. Go today in peace and fulfillment, knowing what he gave to you. We love you, and we'll see you next week, family. We hope you enjoyed this message. You can find more like it on our website under sermons. To keep up to date with our sermon series, hit the subscribe button in your podcast host and follow our social media pages. Just search for GFC Shrewsbury on the platform of your choice. If you're looking to connect with us further, then you can email us at connect at gfcshrewsbury.org. We will be back next week with another message. We hope to see you again soon.